your missionary. You may not be aware of that, but I'm your missionary. You support the work that I do with Standing Stone Ministry. You know, most missionaries go to serve a people group. I serve a people group as your missionary, and that people group is pastors who are not doing well, pastors who are hurting, pastors who are suffering in some way. And I am there because your support makes that possible. So thank you. Thank you very, very much. It's a pleasure to be with you. Turn with me in your Bible to John 11, if you will. This didn't make it in your bulletin, but uh, our text today is John 11. And my sermon title today, if you keep record of such things, is Finding Hope in Desperate Times. John chapter 11. I'm going to just read part of it now. And then we'll look at other parts of it as we go through the morning. I'm going to read verses 1 through 16 right now of John 11. This is the word of God. Please be mindful of that. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you. Pardon me. Grab some water. You know, there is a <clears throat> there is a Scottish proverb that goes something like this. Were it not for hope, the heart would break. Were it not for hope, the heart would break. If that's true, and I think it is, There are a lot of broken hearts in this world. And some of them may be in this room right now. 
Maybe you're here today feeling hopeless about something. Your health, perhaps. The future of your marriage or that of one of your children. The future of our country. Like Martha and Mary, perhaps you've lost someone you've loved recently and right now God seems far away. I want you to know this morning that through faith in Jesus Christ, there is hope even in the most desperate of times. And I want to show you that by taking you into three things today. And they all start with the letter P to help you remember it a little bit better. First, we're going to look at the peril, the peril of being without hope. And then the promise of hope. And finally, we will look at the path to having hope, even in dark times. So the peril, the promise, and the path. That's our plan today. Let's dive right in. First, let's look at the peril of being without hope. As we open here to John chapter 11, it is January or February of A.D. 33. In just a couple of months, Jesus will be nailed to a cross. And in verse 1 there, we meet three of the main characters of this whole chapter, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. They are siblings and are very close friends of Jesus as well. But Martha and Mary know that their brother is just barely hanging on to life. So they send a message to Jesus there in verse 3, telling him that Lazarus, their brother, is sick. And implied, though not stated, is their wish that Jesus would come and heal Their brother. After all, they know Jesus well. They've seen his miracles. They've seen him heal people. He could heal Lazarus too. He could heal Lazarus with a touch or with a word or maybe even without a word. Well, Jesus knows what they want him to do. Nevertheless, verse 6 says that he waits. It says that when Jesus got the news about Lazarus, he delayed two days before doing anything about it. And then it would take him another day to reach Bethany where they were. So by then it's too late. It says down in verse 17, the verse after the last verse I read, it says there that Lazarus has been dead four days before Jesus arrived. The question I want to ask you is why the wait? Why the wait? Couldn't Jesus have left sooner? Sure he could. If he knew that Lazarus had died, didn't he also know a few days before that that he was still alive and could have been healed? Yes. And this is why Martha says later on in the chapter, Lord, verse 21, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And even... Even if Jesus had decided not to heal Lazarus for some whatever reason, couldn't he have at least hurried to be at the side of Martha and Mary in their grief? Weren't they among his closest friends? Isn't that what you would try to do if you knew one of your closest friends was losing someone to death? You would try as best you could to be there, to text them, to call them, to do something to let them know you're heart was with them. 
But no, instead of hurrying, Jesus waited. Some of you know what it feels like when God waits to show up. I was thinking the other day about a man, some of you remember this name, it's been a while, Tony Snow. You remember, you know the name Tony Snow, you remember who he was? Uh, he was the, he was the White House press secretary to then President George W. Bush, George Bush 43. Well, if you know about Tony Snow, he, you know that he got colon cancer. He went through surgery, he went through the, the required chemotherapy and all of that, and he thought he had it licked. It looked like he was in remission, but it came back. And along with his colon cancer, along with it came tumors that gathered in his abdomen. So Tony Snow was seriously ill. He was only 51. He had a wife, he had three kids, he had a prominent career working for the most powerful man in the world. But he was in trouble, wasn't he? In an interview with Christianity Today magazine, Tony Snow said this. He said, the mere thought of dying can send adrenaline flooding through your system. A dizzy, unfocused panic seizes you. Your heart thumps. Your head swims. You fear saying goodbye. You worry about the impact on your family and your friends. The natural reaction, he says, is to turn to God and ask Him to serve as a cosmic Santa Claus. Dear God, make it all go away. Make everything simpler. No doubt that's how Martha and Mary felt in John 11 right now. As they watched the life drain out of their beloved brother Lazarus, Jesus, make it all go away. Make everything simpler. But Jesus chose to wait. Now I want you to know this morning that when God waits, and some of you know that waiting process, When God waits, it's not because He doesn't love you. He does. When bad things happen and God chooses not to fix them, there is a purpose in that. We may not know that purpose. We may never know that purpose here in this life. But God is sovereign, He is good, and He is loving. And there's always a purpose to our pain. That's why in verse 4, Jesus says, This illness is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Friends, God is always at work for our good and for His glory, even in our times of suffering. And I I think as I say that to you all, we know this, right? We know this. This is part of our theology. This is part of our creed. We know that God is sovereign. He's always at work. But it's still easy to lose hope, isn't it? Our lips may say, God is good all the time, all the time God is good. But our hearts often agree with Martha. Lord, if you'd been here, if you hadn't waited, our brother would not have died. My marriage would not have fallen apart. My child would not have done drugs. I wouldn't have lost my job. My mom would not have cancer. Hopeless is a horrible place to be, though. 
Someone has said that a person can go 40 days without food, a few days without water, eight minutes without oxygen, but only a few seconds without hope. So where is hope to be found? Where can I today point you in the direction of hope for those of you that are in that waiting room of life? Well, we've seen the peril of being without it. Let me show you the promise of hope. It's here in this chapter, and I'm now going to read verses 21 through 27. So don't you close your Bible. (laughs) Open it back up to John 11. I'm going to read verses 21 through 27. Martha said to Jesus, now remember, she's grieving. She's concerned. Why didn't you show up? Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Now, folks, here you have a promise from God that you can have hope even in the darkest of times. Notice with me here two things, okay? First, what Jesus says, and then what Jesus feels. First, what he says in verse 25 is huge. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, this is the fifth of seven I am statements in the book of John. You need to know that. There are seven different times in John's gospel when Jesus says, I am something. And this is number five of the, of the list. Earlier in John, he had said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. And I am the good shepherd. But here in John 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. What's so significant about these sayings? Well, we could say a lot about them. But what what I find significant is that Jesus doesn't just give you what you need. He is what you need. He doesn't just give you the bread of life. He says, I am the bread of life. He doesn't just give you light. He is the light of the world. And here in John 11, he doesn't just provide resurrection and life. He is your resurrection and life. He can give it because he is it. Okay? I remember when my youngest son, Michael, was in college. And one day, he called me from Florida State, go Knowles, and he said, Dad, can you give me some money? I need gas for my car. And I said to Michael, son, I am your money. (laughs) And that is what Jesus is saying here. 
He's saying, brothers and sisters, I am your hope. See, if Jesus is just the giver of things, you might be afraid that one day he might run out of them, but not if he is them. If you're connected to Jesus, you see, you are connected to everything Jesus is connected to. And one of those things is hope. So that's what Jesus says, but I I now want us to look at what Jesus feels. And here I'd like to read verses 32 through 36. See, we're moving through the chapter. 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him... See, we've been looking at Martha. Now we see Mary. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, same thing Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And here's that verse you all know. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. I want you to note three important phrases in that passage I just read. And these three describe what Jesus feels, what he felt then and what he still feels. The first thing I want you to notice is that verse that we've all memorized, Jesus wept, verse 35. Shortest verse in the Bible. But literally, it's he burst into tears. It wasn't this this quiet, slow, gradual weeping. He burst into tears. Why? Because he loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. He identified with these sisters in their grief, and he felt their loss. He burst into tears. Secondly, second phrase I want you to underline, he was deeply moved in his spirit. That's verse 33. This means more than Jesus just felt sorry for Martha and Mary. Do not look at it that way. When it says he was deeply moved, it's a Greek word that means furious. And you wouldn't notice this in the English translation. But it means furious or angry or outraged. Outside the Bible, it's a word that refers to the snorting of angry horses. If you can imagine this in our Savior. So Jesus wept. He was deeply moved in spirit. And then the third phrase I want you to notice is that he was greatly troubled. It says that in verse 33 also. He was greatly troubled. This means he was stirred. It's a Greek word meaning stirred or agitated like a whirlpool or stirred up waters or waves crashing the the, uh, rocks at the ocean. And once again, this is another indication that Jesus was anything but chill and cool and calm. No, he was riled up. He was beside himself. He was agitated. His whole body, I can just imagine, must have been trembling at the grave of 
Lazarus. Why? Why did Jesus burst into tears? Why was he angry and agitated? Well, it's because he felt the devastation that death brings into our fallen world. He feels our brokenness and our fear of death, and it moves him to the core of his being. Do you remember how we all felt after 9-11? Or how about October 7th of last year? How did we feel when we heard about those Hamas terrorists attacking and murdering and raping those Jews in Israel? Well, one of our natural reactions to these things is rage. We say, this is so wrong. This should not be. And that's what Jesus is going through here. When Jesus saw the sisters crying, when he heard the mourners wailing, when he saw the stone rolled in front of Lazarus' tomb, it brought home to him afresh the unnaturalness of death and the misery of human bondage to sin. And Jesus was furious. As John Calvin put it, Jesus went like a champion prepared for conflict to the enemy and engaged him in hand-to-hand combat. He did that here at the tomb of Lazarus. He did that on the cross when he died for sin. He did it when he rose from the dead. And ultimately, he's going to do it when he returns on the last day. Jesus Christ is going to come back. He's going to make all things right and everything sad come untrue. He's going to raise all of us from the dead. He's going to reverse the curse and put an end to disease and mourning and sorrow and pain. And Jesus is going to create a new heaven and a new earth where young women aren't kidnapped, where kids are not abused, where loved ones do not get cancer and where nation will not take up sword against nation anymore. Until that day arrives, friends, listen to what Jesus says. I am the resurrection and the life. And remember what he feels. He is a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He is enraged by injustice and death. Because these words and feelings of Jesus are your promise. See, that you and I can live with hope. Even in the most desperate of times. We've seen the peril and the promise, but the question probably on your mind is how how can I live with, with hope, Mike? How is this possible? I get it, but how can I begin right now to live with hope? Is it just a matter of thinking positively? Is there, is there a technique? Is there a formula? Do you plug it in? Does it come naturally? Do I need to switch my job? Should I get married? Maybe I should have another drink. No, none of those things. Let's look now at the path to having hope. And here I want to read the final passage of the chapter. It's 38 through 44. We're actually not going to read the whole chapter. Verses 38 through 44. Let me read that. Listen to God's word once more. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? 
So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, to them, unbind him and let him go. Friends, you can live with hope in desperate times by putting your trust in Jesus Christ. Why do I say that? Notice the many times in this chapter the word believe appears. Believe. It's in verse 25. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Verse 26. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? It's here that I, that I just read in verse 40. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And it's in verse 42. I said this, that they may believe that you sent me over and over again, the word believe. Now, the word believe does not mean what some of you might think that it means. It doesn't just mean believe intellectually, like, I believe it's cool outside. Uh, I'm not trusting in anything when I say that. Lots of people believe that there was a man named Jesus who lived and died and uh, lived in a good life and died on a cross. Lots of people believe that, but they're not trusting in him at all. And the word believe means trust in, rely on. Put your faith in. In fact, verse 25 literally says, He who believes into me will live, even though he dies. And verse 26 says, Everyone who lives and believes into me shall never die. Now, I know that's a strange way for someone to talk. We don't usually say believe into something. But that's exactly what is said here. See, Jesus is talking about a kind of belief that brings you into union with Him, into a relationship with Him. When you believe in Jesus, you see, you rely on Him, you love Him, you rest all your weight on Him. And that's different from merely saying, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. Of course, many people in our country believe in Jesus. You might have heard this story. It's from a man named Ken Davis. Ken Davis is a comedian and an author, and he tells about a speech that he gave when he was a college student in his speech class. And it's fascinating. The title of his speech was The Law of the Pendulum. So Ken Davis, in his speech, spent about 20 minutes explaining that a pendulum can never return to a point higher than the point from which it was released. Do you follow that? Because of friction and gravity and such, when the pendulum returns, it will fall short of its original release point. Each time it swings, it makes less and less of an arc until finally it is at rest. So he demonstrated this principle using a three-foot-long piece of string with a weight tied on the end of it. And sure enough, he did that and, you know, the pendulum swang but didn't go back all the way up to its release point and eventually stopped. 
So he asked his classmates, how many of them believed in the law of the pendulum? And everyone raised their hands, including the professor. So then Ken Davis said, okay, now part two of the, of the presentation. Ken had rigged up in this room a pendulum with a long parachute cord that had been tied to one of the steel beams in the ceiling of the room. Imagine a room maybe this wide with a pendulum on a long cord hanging down from a beam up there. He asked the professor to climb up on a table and sit on a chair with his back over uh, back of his head up against the wall. So imagine that being over there. A professor sitting way up high on a on a chair with his back against the wall, his head against the wall. And then Ken Davis brought that... He, uh, at the end of this cord was a 250-pound weight. And he took that weight and moved it all the way up to within an inch of the nose of the professor. And he said, if the law of the pendulum is true, then when I release this mass of metal, it'll swing across the room and return short of the release point. Your nose will be in no danger. Ken looked at his professor in the eye and said, Sir, do you believe this law is true? And there was a long pause, huge beads of sweat started popping out on the forehead of the professor. And then he whispered, yes, I believe that. Well, Ken Davis released the pendulum and it swished across the room. At the far end of the room, it returned its swing and came back. And just about the time it started coming back, the professor dove off the chair. And Ken asked the class, does he believe the law of the pendulum? And everybody said, no, 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 because he didn't trust the law of the pendulum. See, there's a, a, there's a difference between believing and trusting. My question to you this morning is, whatever you are trusting in and whatever you are depending on to get through the day with hope and confidence... That is really your God. I got a question for you. It's the same question Jesus asked Martha in verse 26. Do you believe, now that you know what the word means, do do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Are you or are you not trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Couldn't be more important question than that. Some of us trust in our bank account, others in our health, others in having a ton of followers on Facebook or Instagram or X. Some of us trust in having the right president in the White House. Maybe maybe your real, honest-to-God trust is your kids or your success or your house. You know, there's a word for that. Idolatry. An idol is anything besides God that you rely on for happiness or fulfillment or security. And there's one thing I know about an idol, because I've worshipped a few in my lifetime. It will always let you down. It cannot deliver true hope. Brothers and sisters, Jesus and Jesus alone is your path to finding hope in desperate times. 
Tony Snow, I told you about him. He died. He, he died of colon cancer on July 12, 2008. And shortly before his death, he said this, I don't know why I have cancer and I don't much care. It is what it is, a plain and indisputable fact. We are fallen. We are imperfect. Our bodies give out. But despite this, God offers the possibility of salvation and grace. We don't know how the narrative of our lives will end, but we get to choose how to use the interval between now and the moment we meet our Creator face to face. Those are the words of a hopeful man. A man who discovered that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Have you? Have you discovered that? You should be able to answer that question. If not... There's a reason you came to church today. I want you to receive the offer of hope from Jesus. What you must do is turn from the way you've been living and the things you've been building your life on and say with Martha, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Let's pray together. Lord, it is hard to be in the waiting room. I suspect some of my friends here at Christ the King are wondering when you will show up. They're suffering something. They feel a lack of hope. Father, there may be folks in the room that are grieving the loss of loved ones like Martha and Mary did. Thank you, Jesus, that you come not with some easy fast cure that we buy off of a internet ad, you come with yourself, inviting us into relationship, a relationship of trust. And I pray, O oh God, that you'll give us your Holy Spirit and his power to trust you when all seems dark when we don't know what's around the next corner, when we are worried about this or that or the other thing, God, help us to rest in Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life, who is the hope of the world, who is the light that we so desperately need. Bless us, we pray, with this good news. In Jesus' name, amen.